Hello, and welcome to the Cinephile New Wave. I'm Duran. And I'm Nick. And I'm Tony, the guest for this week. And today we're going to be talking about Kenji Mizuguchi's 1953 film, Ugetsu. Which is one of my favorite films, and in my opinion, one of the best Japanese films. The film is an interesting take on both war and a ghost story, and it deals with all sorts of complex themes such as family, tradition, and in my opinion, maybe even a little bit of commentary on World War II. So how'd you guys Certainly. like it? Certainly. Yeah, um, actually, I'd like to talk about, touch about the World War II commentary there. Um, it's interesting because I read a little bit about this film, and Mizuguchi, I believe, during the war, directed a couple like pro-war films, including like for Forty-Seven Ronin. Hmm. But um, after the war ended, um, this seemed to be kind of—I don't know if this is like kind of a like an apology or just kind of a reflection on the war itself, because this this seems to be very very anti-war, as um, the the two main characters. Um, they, they try to take advantage of what's going on in the war, but they both end up um, with a lot less than what they started with. Yeah. Yeah. Just, a, you know, the moral tale is definitely about war profiteering, I think, above mm-hmm. all else. Right. Um, cer- certainly war profiteering, and also um, this idea that uh, war gives you glory, yeah, um, which is like a very like nationalistic idea, and as as we know, like um, Japan is historically a very very nationalistic country. Yeah. Um. So, um, it, it, I think Ugetsu is a pretty interesting take on that. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense that this would come out after World War Two. Definitely, especially I think that was interesting because it played against like the the classical themes of like the hero and. Um... You know, being like what was I don't know the character's name, but he was like so obsessed with being a samurai and being that uh, total archetypal vision of being a man that he basically forgot his his family yeah. and they were just in peril because of it. And I was wondering if maybe mm-hmm. this was uh, something similar to what Mizuguchi saw his fellow countrymen go through in World War Two as they sought honor and glory over their family. Yeah, definitely. It's. Um... I think that was honestly one of my favorite aspects of the film was, mm. yeah. Um, what a like what um what makes it your uh, your favorite movie or one of your favorites? Very, very interestingly, I I think that what I do like the most is not the war themes, but rather the uh, the ghostly aspects and the the spooky parts of the film. Yeah, I like, really, the, I like the use of uh, all the mist. Yeah, I did too, and. What it really reminded me of was this Japanese aesthetic term called, sorry, I'm probably going to butcher this pronunciation, but yugen, which basically means mysterious grace. And this has been used in many different, um, both Chinese and Japanese arts to depict a sort of like hazy mysteriousness. And what it does is it basically washes out the, the paintings by using like very light brush strokes or very heavy brushstrokes in certain other areas that could sort of fade into each other. And this creates more depth than it would, than like in the painting, thematically and visually, in my opinion, than it would if it were to like basically explain or show every detail. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very interesting because, um, well, at least in um, Western culture, the depiction of ghosts tends to be pretty negative. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, in this film, there's definitely like a mix there. I mean, we have the um, lady Wakasa, who's kind of like you you she's it's it's kind of ambiguous whether she's an evil character or not i mean it could just be that she is desperate to to like find someone that that you love so in that in that way even though she's like kind of a villain she's also very very sympathetic um in a lot of ways i i, I wouldn't even really call her a villain because um she's just kind of taking advantage of the greed that's already inherent in the main character genjiro yeah and i'm even talking just uh, aesthetically about about how it looked both the um the scenes with the boats and then as the the man is escaping from the ghosts with the sword and all the lights go out and then you can kind of see into the the like decrepit garden that's very uh very washed out and almost monochromatic but also emphasizing like negative space but you talking about the ghost i have even more like sort of interesting in my opinion aesthetic commentary on her which is that she really reminded me of japanese no theater which is one of the oldest forms of theater in the world uh, that's continuously practiced. And everything about no theater is extremely difficult. People train for like five years just to learn how to walk in a no theater style. And there's such a, a grace and movement about it. They wear masks in the theater and they, uh, they move in almost ghostly ways. And I think that this was a major inspiration point for Mizuguchi in directing the ghost because I actually did notice she did walk in a semi-no style and everything about her just seemed like unnatural and inhuman. Yeah. Her, her, the whole eyebrow thing. And the, the eyebrow yeah, thing the, too. Well, the, the, whole, the whole way her, she looks is, mm-hmm. is definitely adds to the, to the ghost, ghostliness of it, which is, which is cool. Yeah, I definitely agree that um, I, I didn't really have the context for for the no theater, but um, just in terms of uh, how she acts, it, it definitely seems a lot more theatrical mm-hmm. than a Absolutely. lot of the other actors in the film. Another thing that I wanted to point out was the uh, the ghost's fear of the words of the Buddha, because mm-hmm. uh, if you notice the. Um, there was a priest, I believe it was, who warned the guy about the fact that he had like some. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he he exercises him. Yeah, yeah. He exercises him. He's yeah. like, you, I think you're infected by a ghost or something. And then he writes the Buddha's words on him. And then this really scares uh, the ghost, and she's horrified that he, uh, he had the Buddha's words. And I was wondering if this was maybe a commentary on like um, the external versus internal tradition of japan because buddhism is not like natural to japan buddhism moved over and then eventually like um developed into zen buddhism but obviously shintoism is like the uh original religion of the japanese and so i didn't know if this was like also a commentary about like some sort of cultural progression the old versus the new i don't know yeah that's interesting um i i was also there's like a lot about the culture that I definitely that definitely went over my head in this film, um, and the Buddhist aspects of it were certainly a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I think what I found most interesting in the film was, like you said, the ghost stories, but specifically the um, type of spirituality that's shown in the film. 
So um, I know like almost nothing about Buddhism, but um, and I think because of that, I find a lot of films with strong Buddhist themes to be very interesting. So two other ones that come to mind are um, Uncle Boomney, who can recall his past lives. Um, Uncle yeah, Boomer. Thai film. Yeah, and then um, uh, Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, and Spring by Vicky uh, Duke. Yeah. And um, if I'm not incorrect about this, all of those films, uh, including Ugetsu, these are all different countries, right? So Boomney is Thailand. Yes. I, yeah, I think so. And, yeah, so which is, think, that's, yeah, that is... Buddhism is is an interesting religion. Yeah. It also varies depending on the region in which it's practiced. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yet all these films have kind of this... Uh, these films have very, very different depictions of Buddhism. But one thing that's consistent throughout all these that I found was this idea of um, like reincarnation and rebirth, which is obviously like a central core of, of Buddhism. Um, yeah. what, what, what did you guys think about the buddhist themes in this film uh i thought they were um they were interesting in the the way that they were handled because i it like uh, to me some of it did kind of like it, st- it started up kind of late with the buddhist themes i feel uh i don't know about you guys but i think i think they're they're um i agree that like they're they become the prominence later but i believe they're kind of like lurking in the backgrounds like during the entire film um but they i I think that he didn't want to like overwhelm all like you at once can you specify on which buddhist things that you noticed so um for me the most interesting part was this idea that um the dead still exist after after they die so Mm -hmm. we can still like communicate with them um and they can they they still like love us and, and they're still there so, like, to me, like, the most powerful scene in the movie was, um, in fact, like, the, the closing scene um, where uh, Genjiro's wife is talking about how he's now become, like, the perfect husband and everything. And it's kind of, like, it's not entirely clear if we know that Genjiro is hearing her disconnected voice or if this is just her speaking in the afterlife or maybe this is just something Genjiro is imagining. Um, I found I found that really really interesting, and I think the final shot of the movie is like his kid putting like a bowl of soup or something on like the wife's grave. Right? I think it's flowers. Okay. Well, no, I think I think it was. I thought I'm pretty sure it was what? food because like the other wife is like it says to Genjiro, take some food or you're gonna starve, and he's like, all right. And then I think the kid takes it and puts it on his grave. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I guess yeah, I can I can see it more than now that I'm thinking about it, you know, the wives are suffering and you know suffering is one of the like essential oh, yeah. parts of Buddhism. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we should talk about how like absolutely destroyed the women were yeah. by this film. Yeah, compared the to the compared film, to the dudes yeah. who are just like I I have a new wife and I'm a samurai leader man now. Mm. <laughs> I felt so bad for them. I was like, Jesus, they got the real short end of the straw here. Mizuguchi, in, in almost all the films that I've seen, he's had a very, like, pro-woman stance and really shown the, the humanity and how women have uh, have suffered through, like, I don't know if it's through, like, traditional society, but, like, yeah. basically just through um, patriarchal constructs. You know? Yeah. 
I mean, war is certainly one of those. Yeah. Um, it was it was pretty devastating seeing um. Uh, what's his name's Toby's wife, the uh, oh, the samurai huh? guy. I think. Yeah, get, she like turning into prostitution, and then yeah. Genjiro's wife just getting stabbed. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had to do a double take. At the end of the film, when um, she came back as a ghost, I'm like, wait a minute. I'm pretty sure I saw her die, but I could have been not been paying close attention. This man but, gaslighted um... me into thinking she was okay. <laughs> I thought she was okay. Oh, oh really? Has it been that long? Yeah, okay, well. <laughs> anyway. My bad. Yeah, but um, I think by the end, I was like pretty convinced she was a ghost. Although that scene yeah. was handled very, very, very well. I love that. Yeah. Um, just like honestly like i did enjoy the film as a whole for sure but i think the first half it kind of lost me since i wasn't mm-hmm. really sure exactly what i was going for yeah, yeah I, I was kind of I, probably yeah i was a little confused if the film was talking about like greed on specifically or greed specifically in war but then but then when when the ghost story comes about and then the film ends it kind of all comes together and in a lot of ways this film, and I know this this film is actually based off of a um, 18th century text, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Ugetsu, um, what's it called? Ugetsu... Starts with an M, I think. Monotsugari, yeah. yeah. Um, well, it's from a collection definitely... of short stories, isn't it? Oh, interesting. But the film itself feels like a novel to me. Like like a like a, like a long like novel. Because there, there's, there's the... Um, yeah. I can see that. There, there's all there's all these like different things going on, especially at the beginning, which are kind of divorced from what goes on at the end. And then there's like this very distinct like A and B plot, which you might see like in a TV show, but like you typically don't see that in film. Yeah, um, I didn't. Since, like, I didn't think about it that way, but yeah. Yeah, because like a lot of it, um, a lot of uh, Toby and Genjiro's stories are kind of like separate from each other, and the film kind of like cuts in between them. So and and a lot and in that way it really felt like a uh, like like a novel rather than a film and just in the way it was structured. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I I really like just the general like aesthetics of the film. Yeah. Just yeah, they really like leaned into. You can. Yeah. Uh, what specifically I love the about the city scenes too? Oh yeah. Sorry, what'd you say before that? Uh, well. He he asked what specifically. Um, I'd say like the the ghostliness and I mean also the the samurai bits were were cool. Just cause mm, yeah yeah I don't know I I just I really like that kind of stuff. They're cool yeah. Um I I wanted to save this for a bit later but I really want to talk about the lighting. Sure. Throughout the film, so I think that's the the formal elements that really stood out to me like i was i was completely blown away by the lighting throughout the throughout the movie Mm -hmm. um the day scenes are like almost overexposed they're very very white yeah which is which is like kind of strange i haven't really seen that in a black and white film before but um like and it's definitely like intentional because when we go in inside um and i'm thinking specifically the scene where lady wakasa is dancing yeah so it's dark it's like darker inside obviously because it's an interior but then her entire face gets like enveloped like in this shadow mm-hmm. yeah like, i noticed that too dancing. there's there's a lot of like heavy shadow mm-hmm. yeah and i think a similar thing happens near the end of 
Genjiro's story when he's like flying around with the sword. I yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah, as he like too. hits candles and the candles like fall and go out. Yeah, it just gets darker and darker until it's almost like he's like swimming in shadows. And this is like this is like fucking crazy for 1950. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because lighting a scene back then when you're shooting on film is already difficult if you're not changing the lighting while the scene is being shot <laughs> like this is like actually yeah ins- I, I i literally cannot understand how they pu- pulled this off um and another one that really stood out to me was near the end i believe it's near the end of um uh genjiro's wife being a ghost so there's like it's an interior shot and the the room is kind of dark but then we see like these kind of like uh beams of light coming in through the windows and then the room gets like much brighter and then we cut to a um like a long shot of the house yeah uh, it like ever so yeah. subtly changes right and then yeah, and then, really and then like there that. and it gets like super bright and i'm like this is blowing my mind man. yeah like how the hell did they do this back then yeah like doing, I... doing this on, doing this on digital is hard yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's I I really found that shot very cool because it like it's it's just ever so slightly that it changes but it's just enough for you to be able to like tell that it's changing. Yeah, exactly. Um Yeah. Um but I'm 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 a little bit of at a loss uh in terms of like interpreting yeah the especially like the overexposed kind of like daytime shots. I'm not exactly sure what he was going for uh if if he was going for anything like thematically or uh plot wise or whatever but in terms of aesthetic i thought that it was every single um all the lighting in the film was just just absolutely amazing maybe it was like real versus ghostly or something mm-hmm. yeah actually that's a good point yeah. um yeah definitely the overexposed like uh, exteriors emphasize like realism and then when we're inside uh yeah like the darker shadows probably bring out the ghostly parts of it yeah um i i really like the uh the music too yeah traditional like Mm. yeah the uh the drum and then the slight like singing too yeah Yeah, which is which sounds very like like, ominous it kind of it kind of in that way reminded me of like the blade runner soundtrack how Mm. it would have like you know i i'm not sure what it was i think it's japanese like kind of singing in the background ever so slightly i think there's some um like middle eastern vocals as well and, yeah uh, the light runner soundtrack yeah but yeah i i uh i just i like the the vibe that the music was going for mm. any uh any other uh and no more I, i'm through my I am I think <laughs> I want to talk a little bit more about the fiction of um spirituality. Sure. In the film because that's that's like I said before what I found the most interesting. Um So what do you guys think this film is saying about um our connection to like uh this other world if it exists? I I thought that uh it was interesting like you said earlier that like people can't or like after people die maybe they like an aspect of them still stays and they can uh they can be communicated with somehow and i thought that like it was very interesting that um they kept this like sort of shrine 
the ghosts kept the shrine to their yeah. father, and they communicated mm. to their father through that. And I'm not sure if, like, that's, like, a Confucian or, like, just Asian thing in general, because I know that, um, that, like, there are familial shrines in both, like, Lone Wolf and Cub, yeah. and just in, like, Confucianism in general, where you'd, like, put, I don't know, some, some sort of object that sort of represents them, and you can, like, quote, sort of communicate with them, and I'm not sure if that means, like, literally or, like, spiritually, but I, I do think that there's probably some context that we're missing there, but uh, the physical objects representing a person who has passed and the ability to communicate through those objects, I thought was interesting yeah and i i liked how how kind of creepy the helmet looked too yeah yeah the, 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 the fake mustache too. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love I, that yeah just so good um i this is certainly an eastern idea tony i think um and seeing this seeing this in a film is definitely a breath of fresh air compared to um whatever little spirituality or mysticism we see from western films well okay let me let me rephrase that we definitely see depictions of spirituality in western films but in terms of like mysticism mm -hmm. nearly none okay yeah um because this is it's a very like in my opinion like eastern take on mysticism um because mysticism in general is like kind of frowned upon in the west it's seen as like stupid meditation mumbo jumbo um which is why I, I connected uh, this film earlier to these other these other two films that have depictions of Buddhism in it. Like, um, I was talking to a friend about um, Uncle Boomney uh, mm -hmm. yesterday, mm -hmm. actually. Yeah, and how it also kind of talks about this relationship between the living and the dead, and how like it's it's not so much like a clear cut thing. There's something strange going on there there's like these strange like medians mm -hmm. um and i'm really i'm really attracted to that as a concept even if i'm uh in denial about it being real or not um but i think i think the way that it was shown in this film was was really cool um especially by the ending and i think another reason why the ending was so powerful to me was because this idea of there being a connection between the living and the dead wasn't established at the beginning of the film. Um, like you said earlier, Nick, like these Buddhist themes and ideas are more yeah, they, towards, they like, creep the their path. way. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, because I think that if we knew that in this film there was stability at the beginning, it yeah. would not be as interesting. It would not be as powerful than uh, at the very end. Definitely. When it was yeah. Um, Wait, just going back to your, your statement about how there's just not very much mysticism uh, in Western film, I can think of actually one major franchise where there is mysticism and it is <laughs> Star Wars. Star Wars, You're yes. You're really going to pull the Star Wars <laughs> card on and us? And it's all drawn from Asia. From, oh, I mean, yeah. Exactly. It's all drawn from uh, like samurai films, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is why the that, first yeah. three are pretty good. Dude, but midichlorians. It's all science. Dude. It's all science. Science can explain everything in the universe. I think I just right. figured out why the the prequels are kind of bad is because they don't draw from anything at all. Except for Lucas's so tiny, good, tiny mind. Yeah. True. What? I think that's actually why they're so good. That's why they're right. so good. When I watch, I just rewatched episode one. It's without really me, bad. Without me, when you watch, when you watch episodes one through three. <laughs> people are focusing way too much on the actors and they're not focusing on what's so great about the film 
which is unleashed creativity. CGI. Unleashed creative potential. I mean, okay, Tony, Tony, I actually yeah, have a comment not... about this right here. No, 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 I have a comment about this okay. right here. Okay, all right. Pure unleashed creativity is a mistake, and it always leads to failure like the prequels. Artists need obstacles that they don't necessarily have to overcome, but that they have to work around in order to truly um, create something meaningful. Okay, like, I think that's why video games have not achieved a high art status yet, but... Uh... I, that's I, a whole just, other subject yeah <laughs> I, i'm just happy i'm just happy that uh that uh we just saw the full fledged force of of creative passion from george lucas and many other people <laughs> in the prequels because let's be honest it's led to some great memes and some oh, just, like yeah, crazy sure. pop culture figures if jar jar banks was from any other franchise they would have been it would have been forgotten yeah completely long forgotten long ago yeah, I honestly, I think that I, we need I we need more minstrel. We need we need more minstrel depictions in modern. Yeah, cinema. we need we need uh, an alien that you can literally look up Jewish Star Wars alien and Wado will appear. That's yeah, that's a good <laughs> idea. Oh God, who's that one director that works better with like low budgets than he does with like very big budgets? Most. Yeah, I guess so. Robert Rodriguez <laughs> definitely works better with a small Carpenter, amount of probably. money. Yeah, kind of. I mean, yeah. The Thing was one of his most expensive films, so that's why I'm kind of like oh, really? hesitant to say that. Like, it makes sense that it'd be expensive because they shot it in like a fucking snow desert. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's called the uh, Antarctica. Yes. Um, is there anything we want to touch upon on Ugetsu, or shall we move on? I'm good on Ugetsu. I'm All good right. to move on. There is uh, one piece of news that I want to talk about just very quickly. Sure. Um, have you guys heard about the the Batman spinoff? No. They announced that they're doing a Batman spinoff that's basically Gotham, but better. Batman is in like, oh, is this, the is this one the one released with... yet? Yeah. What? They're is doing it, a spinoff this... series for it. Is it who, like... How do we know it's going to be better than Gotham? Well, it's going to be... This, wait, is this the one uh, where it's, like, just the police force? Yeah, this is... Yeah. It's, like, but, the least interesting but, part of the Batman franchise. But it is going to be by <laughs> Matt Reeves and, uh, I think, Terrence Winter, who did Boardwalk Empire. Okay, who Empire. the fuck is Matt... I, I don't know who Matt Reeves is. Yeah, he, did, he did some of the fucking Planet of the Apes movies. Calm down. Okay, okay. Oh, okay. Those were, did, those he were the, did he do the last one? Uh, I think... Okay, if you did the Dawson, I'm not watching the Batman. Okay, all right. Yeah, you're just going <laughs> to say that. Okay, wait, wait, wait. So we make fun of, like, uh, Zack Snyder for putting, like, really stupid, like, Christian symbolism in his, like, dumb superhero movies. I didn't see the Dude, last Planet of the Apes. So. War for the Planet of the Apes, literally every single shot, it's like, Caesar is Jesus Christ. There's literally a scene of him being crucified, dude. It's such a bad fucking movie. I hate I... it. Uh, th this makes me want to see it more <laughs> <laughs> we should watch it we should have watched it for uh, cinema and religion god damn you're right um yeah right, sorry for uh, cutting you off but yeah no i just thought i would mention it because that it's such a weird thing for them to be doing why uh, just like just because of what you said like we we had gotham already like what's the fucking purpose also, of doing this we haven't even point, seen yeah. we haven't even seen this new 
Robert Pattinson yeah. Batman movie, and to like want to spin off from it a movie that's unreleased, I think is kind of uh, it, egotistical. It will be on HBO yeah. Max though, so it will be given a fucking budget that isn't three dollars. Okay. So was Watchmen also an HBO thing? Yeah. Okay, so it's gonna be that sort of thing. Is probably Watchmen not. DC? It's it's probably gonna be a um like a serialized thing on like Watchmen because Watchmen was like a one time kind of miniseries maybe okay. type deal, and it was kind of like quote unquote auteur driven. You say that very disappointedly. <laughs> you really well, I mean, not like Watchmen, so it's a it's a shit series. And what's his name? Matt Lindelof. What's his name? I'm not gonna tell you. Damon Lindelof. He should be disappointed in himself. You can say what you want, boy. <laughs> um, um, uh, but I think I think Tony, uh, on your point of it being kind of egotistical, a lot of I think this is like not the first time that Warner Brothers has done this. Like I feel like they've done this. Like, like backing um, Zack Snyder's uh, whole DCEU thing. Well, Dune. They're they're doing it for Dune too. They're they doing have, it for Dune also. They yeah, have they the have confirmed. Dune is that going to be on HBO? Even though the the Dune the first one isn't out. Why, why is that going to be on HBO? Yeah, it's going to be on HBO Max. Sick. I'm going to watch that. <laughs> you mean no one's going to watch that? I said I- I'm going to be the only person who's going to watch that. I'll watch it. I think I heard that uh, Villeneuve is supposed to direct the first episode, which is cool. Yeah, so that's that's promising. So at least there's gonna be yeah. one. He, he said he doesn't want to make big exactly. You're right, Tony. After uh, after he makes Dune, uh, Lynch the same thing. He, Good. No. The funny thing is, he said he said I want to make smaller movies like Sicario. <laughs> Bruh. And I'm I mean, like, buddy. I mean, he's he's right. I mean, his best movies aren't his like yeah, I guess big ass budget ones. I mean, Prisoners and Sicario are my favorite by him, and there's certainly not like zero budget movies, but like. Blade Runner 2049 was, like, pretty good, but certainly not his best. We need Blade Runner 2050. Come on. We need, we need yes. Well, Blade Runner 2050, are we, are we still Blade getting that anime, or did they cancel it, like, immediately after the box office tanked? I don't think there's, like, any news about it. Yeah, so, probably. so that's probably, probably gone. That kind of sucks, because... Whatever, um, bros. We're getting Cyberpunk 2077 anime. It doesn't matter anymore. Oh, God. Uh, not even cyberpunk. <laughs> uh, Tony is the uh, cyberpunk gatekeeper. You have to. You have to get a uh, submit. Unless an it's raining and dark all the time, it can't be cyberpunk. You have to submit an application to Tony Ferry. Not enough. Asking. Not enough cyber. If, if this. If this is cyberpunk. <laughs> I think if everyone's gay, it's cyberpunk, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. So the movie Milk, starring Sean Penn, is, is I just, I cyberpunk. Just, I just feel like I just feel like cyberpunk as a genre is like is like progressing too far past what I feel like originally was. Well, I don't know about originally. What, but like, what do you consider like, okay, the so original if you look, cyberpunk? If you look at like Blade Runner, everything in Blade Runner is like this strange cobbling together of like old technology everything is like yeah retrofitting yeah everything's like yeah everything's basically retrofitted but then there's also like an extremely large wealth divide and basically everything that they do is like very based on utility and not like just for like cool edgy looks and i feel like with what i've seen of cyberpunk 2077 there's too much of an emphasis on like the aesthetic of like I don't know. I've definitely, there's there's definitely like a wealth divide they've been showing off. That's so fine. Like... That, yeah, that's that's true. But like the just the the appearances 
of like characters and things i just think looks very cheesy and not like to the cyberpunk that i think is cool dude i just want to fucking shoot people in skin tight robotic bodysuits i don't really care it's true and this is why video games dude it has keanu reeves <laughs> I don't know yet. I, dude it I has wanna... keanu reeves dude okay, so it's gonna honestly, be good. Honestly, okay honestly honestly what the fact that it has keanu reeves in it made my hype go from like a hundred to like five you are you are hate very keanu pessimistic yeah, about yeah. keanu reeves being in a I, video game no no no. the thing the thing is though like i would be fine with keanu reeves in it if he's not in the entire like game because they announced he's gonna be like some glitch inside of your head or whatever that's gonna follow you throughout the entire game and like i feel I like they probably... want it i don't want to hear him talk i feel like i've heard him talk in a movie before it's not good <laughs> i feel like they he probably won't be in the entire game like they're probably building lie. him up to be like more than he is actually in the game because he's keanu reeves he's a glitch in your mind and he allows you to cross over into the matrix world from <laughs> is this is actually a matrix video game oh my god all dude, along the meta the meta oh my god um i well honestly i'm just i'm just excited for like a deus ex type game because i really like the new deus ex games yeah all right um before i so rudely interrupted with a small bit of news uh do we want to talk about what we've been you know watching reading doing sure um anyone want to go first you want to uh, go yeah i'll go i've been watching this great comedy show called nathan for you and it combines oh, yeah. a sort of similar awkwardness and cringe humor from Curb Your Enthusiasm with, like, the TLC reality show, Let's yeah. Fix Up This Business, into just one absolute carnival of people from Southern California wanting to get their businesses boosted and deadpan Nathan attempting to Little do they know... This man is uh, is not really going to do anything for you. <laughs> hey, it works sometimes. It's it's a good show. And it's more about it's more about the friends and adventures we make along the way than the end result. Isn't <laughs> Shut it? up. Um, I guess isn't... the real the real Japanese ghost was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> Didn't he make a film of that recently? Nathan. Yeah, uh, there's like a Nathan for you. I film, think that the sure. film is actually the series finale. That's oh, okay. Huh. Interesting. Oh, like a TV movie? It, yeah, it's like 90 minutes, okay. and it's like a docudrama in a way. <laughs> that's, mm. that's great. Um, is that all you've been doing? This is all I've been doing, yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, do you want to go? Sure. I've watched a lot of movies since we last met. Yeah, so... your, uh, your letterbox <laughs> has been going off. Dude, I've been, I've been inspired. So um, I watched Werner Herzog's new film, um, family romance llc it's really interesting so basically it's about this uh company that specializes in pretending to be family members and it's actually a real company and oh, the person in japan, right? in japan yes. yeah um and it's a real company and the person that's actually the, the the ceo or the leader of the company or one of the main people is actually playing like himself in the film but the whole film is filmed like basically documentary style and he had like no permit to film it or anything so like there's just one part he was talking about where um he was uh they, they were filming a 70 second scene and literally when they got the shot 
they had to run away from the cops that were chasing them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's Herzog's that, like what, that's like Warner Herzog, right? Yeah. Oh, it, it's it's really interesting, and um, it says a lot about our society. But no, it says a lot about like 21st century relationships, and certainly um, those in, in Japan. Yeah, um, I found it really to be that, very that really sure does say a lot about our society, Jerron. It does. It's on. It's we on movie, by the way. In a it's on movie. It's on what movie? On movie, movie, yeah, you should yeah. check it out. Yeah, and it's um, a modern Herzog doc. I'm a big fan of his recent work. It's so. a, it's actually is, it's a narrative. Have you seen oh, narrative, Lo and okay. Behold? Yeah. Lo and Behold, that's the volcano one. No, the no. internet one. The, the internet? Oh, not yet. No, I saw. It's pretty good. A, a couple months ago, I saw both. Um, can't remember the name of his volcano doc, but then also the Cave of Forgotten oh, yeah. Dreams, and the Cave of Forgotten Dreams might be one of the best documentaries I've seen. And I have to check that have out. Have you seen really Grizzly Man? Oh, Grizzly Man's great oh, too. Oh, Grizzly Man's so, so good. good. Um, um, I uh, oh. oh wait 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 no, I'm not done. Oh, <laughs> oh right. you said you had like uh, twenty thousand films you watched. Oh yeah, um, I watched To Live and Die in L.A., which is probably my favorite Friedkin film. Um, and then I watched Burden of Dreams, which is the Les Blank documentary on Fitzcarraldo. It was oh, really good. I really want to watch that. How was it? Oh, it's great. It's great. Um, so the reason I watched like all these Herzog films is because, well, besides the first one I mentioned, is because I got the. Uh, the BFI Herzog set. So this mm. was like on the special features for Fitzcarraldo. It, it's really good. I highly recommend it. it it's insane. He's an insane man. I've He's heard insane. That's, it might, that might be even better than uh, than the actual Fitzcarraldo movie. Yeah. I miss when making great. of docs were just special features. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this BFI set really went hard. So they got they got a lot of good stuff there. Then I watched um, The Terran Horse and I discussed it with Tony mm. a little bit. Very good film. Um, probably one of my favorite films of all time now um and i watched uh robert altman's the player which i really liked i've been kind of like in an altman binge recently i bought like three of his movies on the criteria on sale <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah I, I got like seven movies dude it's it's, it's a, it's, a it's, it's bad it's bad um i watched sympathy for lady vengeance which kind of sucked um i watched Hus- husbands by cassavetes which was insane oh, it, that's a wild johnny film. c there's there's yeah, just it's so crazy. much like weirdness to it that I've never experienced in any other film. It's like it's weird for a Cassavetes film, which yeah, is saying is. a lot. Did, did you get my reference <laughs> when I said it was like the Trout Mask replica of films? No, I don't think so. Okay, well, so what do you, do you know what Trout Mask Mask replica is? No, no. Okay, so this guy Captain Beefheart, who was a collaborator with uh, Frank Zappa, went on to do his own projects. And he made this album that sounds like absolute shit. Every song is like atonal and just has awful lyrics. Some of the song titles include things like Dachau Blues. Not sure if I pronounced that correctly, but it's like that's like a place where the Holocaust occurred. And, Jesus. Uh, and it's just all sorts of weird stuff. It sounds awful, but it's an absolute cult classic that has diehard fans. And the, the creation of this album was super strange too because the entire captain beefheart and his um band i think it's called his magical band or something they all lived in the same house while recording it and he basically acted like a drill sergeant and all the songs that they recorded were um rigorously practiced and Hmm. they were really adept at just sounding horrendous that's so weird and that's how i kind of view husbands because all of cassavetti's films are extremely well scripted and extremely mm-hmm. practiced and acted and 
Husbands is the furthest that I've seen him take that style, which is why. I oh yeah. Uh, yeah, that's actually a great comparison. Then um, I think that it, it's always surprising to me when whenever Casper says, "Yeah, all my films are like totally scripted." I, know, I think I know. <laughs> his only film that wasn't scripted was the original version of Shadows, hmm. but he actually reshot Amazing. the entire thing scripted. Um, that was uh, I loved Husbands, even though I don't understand it at all. But there's a lot of really interesting commentary about uh, being like a man in America. Um, especially like like a middle aged man in that role. Um, I don't even like I to look into it. I just that. think of it as like guys being drunk and oh. the experience of, of being drunk, but like portrayed on camera and as certainly it's, as it's like on camera, <laughs> you're like honestly kind of seeing what uh, through the the lens of being drunk. I don't know if I explained that well, but yeah, I, I see what you mean. Cassavetti's but... films, I just don't like to interpret that they are what they are. <laughs> yeah, I... I need to watch more. Honestly. I disagree. So I I think you're right, and I think. Okay, first of all, interpretation is stupid. So we'll get that out of the way. <laughs> okay. All right. Just but, a big claim like that. But in terms of Cassavetes, I think I think you're right about you have to take them at face value. But I, I, I find so much richness and really digging deep, especially like in Faces, which is my favorite one by him. Mm. So much in there about um, the American dream and... Uh, uh, marriage is an institution in America, um, and there's, there's like definitely a richness in all the films okay. that I've seen by him. I don't mean okay. Um, I don't mean that like I everything all the themes though are very well presented, but just like they don't they don't just like tell you what they are. I'm, exactly. I'm the that, thing like, is, I'm they're very ambiguous. Like, there's no like symbolism yeah. or anything. It's not like oh, he's trying yeah, to like, yeah, represent yeah. some like deeper transcendental meaning. Like what you oh, see yeah. is is what it is. Really, yeah. I think I think. Um, he's too smart for that you know mm-hmm. because uh like like like, like um the next film i'm going to talk about uh like someone in love um a lot of what cassavetes does is very ambiguous in his films and like there's a lot of like hidden meaning and and the way that people like say their lines and for example the most well the most like thing the, the thing that i remember the most in, in faces for example is this like constant laughter i don't know if you remember mm-hmm. that but like mm-hmm. everyone is like like laughing all the time and like really really awkwardly and it's like it's really like depressing <laughs> yeah um, yeah because everybody's like nobody really cares if i remember correctly it's been years since i saw it so but it's, nobody, uh, like, even it's really rabbits cares. <laughs> yeah it's like rabbits nobody even cares about like what other people are saying and it's just kind of like this weird like social cohesion and anytime there's just yeah. like awkwardness they're just like ah we're friends right we're we're communicating this is life John Cassavetes predicted Robert Altman. All right, next wait, film. Wait, wait. Oh, no, no, Faces, <laughs> just want to point this out. Yeah. It's a Spielberg movie. I, you're banned from this movie. What? Story. He was a production assistant on that film. Are you serious? That's so weird. That's insane. Oh, my God. And then, and then he went on to fucking destroy cinema with Jaws. Amazing. Um, so, uh, the next film I watched. This is a podcast. You can't see my face, but I'm dying inside. <laughs> <laughs> the next the next film i watched um was uh like someone love by uh kurosami um this is this is pretty weird even for kurosami basically he went to japan and he filmed this like very loose narrative about this japanese prostitute this old man and her fiance and it i really connected with the film a lot um on on like a level that it's difficult to really articulate um 
I highly recommend it. I, I, I find Kiarostami's later work to be really fascinating. Um, this uncertified copy, I think, uh, he was almost like experiencing this kind of like renaissance um, and his like post-Iranian films. Mm. Um, I highly, I highly recommend all of his Did movies. Did he move out obviously. of Iran? He, he, he well, yeah. So I believe that he moved out of Iran in the late two thousands okay. in order to pursue more creative control because you know he was not necessarily outright censored in Iran, although sometimes he was. But a lot of what he wanted to say, like he couldn't. Mm. Um, his first film out of Iran was Certified Copy, which talked about marriage, which is something very, very taboo to like talk about in a, in a very conservative society like Iran's. Right. So, um, and then the last one I watched, I watched this at like one o'clock last night because I was bored and I didn't want to go to sleep. Was Herzog's documentary um, Bida Morgana, which was oh, I've really been of... wanting to see that. That's that's all right. Uh, really interesting. Stop going off in tangents. This man needs to be somewhere. <laughs> Tell me about it. Tell hey. me about it um i didn't like it (laughs) it's so it needed more leonard cohen and i quote yes that is that is my review um the reason i watched it was because i got really into leonard cohen after watching uh, mccabe mrs miller Mm. since um the soundtrack to that film is just his amazing songs um and i thought this film was just going to be like desert shots with leonard cohen playing in the background um which is true for a certain extent but a lot of it it's um (laughs) stupid like pretentious um people talking about like the earth being made and then there's like random ass shots of nature i i didn't really vibe with it personally um but you might it's very like it's like a basically the entire film is just long shots of or wide shots of desert with music playing in the background interesting um and mayan proverbs i didn't like it it sounds like (laughs) full herzogian splendor oh yeah it's 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 actually a worse version of um lessons of darkness which i I highly recommend you see highly recommend that it's amazing yeah the oil is treacherous it pretends to be water that's that a direct man. quote, by the you way. Are, no, I it, love how that man's in fucking everything. Like he's in oh, Penguins of Madagascar. What? Yeah, he's yeah. he he he's doing a documentary about penguins in the movie. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, uh, it's great. He's in the greatest show ever, Rick and Morty. Yes, Mandalorian. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, greatest show ever, The Mandalorian. Um. Yeah. So that's it. Um. Yeah. Sorry for <laughs> taking up like twenty minutes. Yeah. No, it's okay. I mean, it's it's partially tony's fault as well it's a conversation how dare, tony, <laughs> it's a how, how dare tony have a conversation with me in a podcast how dare he hey man i'm just trying to look out for your uh, your timing but like I overall ugetsu is kind of like boring and and uh, I wasn't bad and we should never like watch slow. it it's again. just like uh i just don't know about it man yeah. hey let me do my <laughs> i haven't watched a good movie since i saw g-force in theaters all right <laughs> Can may I go on about what I've <laughs> yes, watched? Yes, you can. Because... You're allowed to now. <laughs> um, all right. So I watched. I rewatched episode one. Like I said, that was. Uh, I don't know why why people think these are good now. It's the best of the prequels. Um, that might be true. I'm gonna watch the rest of them with my friends. So the reason the reason yeah. why it's the best of the prequels is because there's no CGI in it. <laughs> very minimal CGI. Yeah. Yeah, but Jar Jar does look very janky in some places. Anyway, um, 
I rewatched the Watchmen movie because we had just watched the series with my parents, like I said last episode. That movie is a lot worse than I remember it being. <laughs> Did you watch the, uh, like, the three-hour cut? Yeah, yeah. I, I watched the ultimate cut, but I skipped past all the Black Freighter stuff because it doesn't make sense with this version <laughs> of the story. Oh, yeah. Dude, that stuff was so annoying. That should have just been a special feature. I don't know why they added that in, like, yeah. to the film. And so that was a lot worse than I remember it. And then uh, very late last night, I watched uh, The Thing, uh, 1982. Uh, still one of my favorites. That movie's still really, really, really good. It's great. Very creepy. I still, I still want to see that at a theater. Yeah, yeah. That, well, that, too bad I'll never it, go to a theater ever again. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, did I tell you about... I saw it in theaters, and it was like it. It was an even better movie really? in theaters. Yeah, I, I bet. I bet. There's a lot of those. Like, I I definitely want to see like a Tarkovsky movie in theaters. Definitely. I really want to see like a Tar movie in theaters. Like, those like definitely feel like you need to. Well, watch it too bad experience. we're never going back to theaters again. Never gonna see a movie in theaters ever again. Duran watching, Turn Horse in a UMD lecture hall, was incredible, and I'm sorry you weren't there. Dude, um. My dad loved the turn horse. <laughs> he he, he yeah, loved it. Yeah. yeah. Um. That that movie is insane. There's only I can literally name two movies that made me lose my perception of time. Which? So the first one is um Jean Delman. Uh, that one. Yeah. I my perception of time was completely lost. That's like four hours. Have you seen that, Nick? Or am I wrong? Is it like ninety minutes? No, it's like it's like three and a half, I think. Oh yeah, one of the best films of all time, and you need to see it, Tony. Um, and the Turian Horse the, is the other one. Like, mm-hmm. I it completely just engulfed me, totally. and I I like at the two hour mark, I'm like, wait, we I thought I've been watching this for like thirty minutes. Yeah, when I when <laughs> I finished the film, I was like, oh, that, that must have been like a ninety minute film, but it it was yeah, it was two and a half hours. hours. Yeah, two and a half. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, it was great. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, it was amazing. So I think I've so I've only seen three Tars. Um, I we should do. We um, have very uh, different movies that feel like they fly by. What, what are yeah. yours? Uh, I don't know. Probably like Fury Road. Mm. That we, does not feel like two hours to me. That feels like thirty minutes. The other one that's like that for me is uh, so is much more. Tree of Life, which seems to go by so, so fast. Even though you you've hated all of the rest of the the. What's his name? Terrence Malick. Terrence Malick, yeah. You, you've hated all the rest of the Terrence Malick. I haven't Malick liked you any saw. of the Malicks that I've seen. It's really strange. What? Wait, what about the new one? I thought you said you liked the new one. No, the new one was pretty good. It wasn't bad. I really like that one. Um, we should we should do. Um, so I got I got two cars that I want to see before I see Satan Tango. So Man from London and um, Autumn Almanac. We might we should probably do an episode of one of those, mm. or we can do one on Tree of Life. Nah, baby, World Maybe. on a Wire is next. I know, I know that's next. I'm saying later. If you if you want to watch, do Tree of Life, an episode on Tree, Tree of Life, I'll, I'd be interested. Yeah, I'd I, be interested I in watch... doing a Thin Red Line episode with you because I know you didn't like it very much, yeah. Tony. Uh, I'd want to watch the extended cut and, of Tree of Life. Yeah, and maybe, isn't and, it already like three hours? Yeah, yeah, but then we could talk about it and uh, talk about like the, the aspects of the extended cut that were in the original and then i can i don't know talk about the differences that i saw from the original and the extended if i can remember Hmm. clearly enough yeah um we should we should definitely do something like that so we're doing we're gonna do 
World's on a Wire for next week, which is um, Rainer Werner Fassbender's sci-fi miniseries. Oh, it's a miniseries? And, yeah, it's a TV show. Well, it's, it's, it just, it, I think it's like a two-parter. So oh. it's like, oh. they're both like 90 minutes. Okay. All right. Um, That's more manageable than I thought it was. Yeah. 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 It's not too bad. Um, and I would like to do like a two or three film Godard episode because a lot of Godard films are going to be leaving the channel. So I wanted to do like Alphaville, Band of Outsiders, and like Lachinois, possibly. I'd do Alphaville. None of the other ones. Uh, I need to learn about the other ones before I agree to doing them. I, they're like ninety. Know, they're like ninety minutes. All I'm right. To see, uh, see history of the cinema. That seems very interesting. What I want cinema to, Paradiso? but it's that's a completely different film. <laughs> um, but for Iswazu cinema, like it's nowhere to be found, man. Like the only, I've only seen it like on Pirate Bay and then like DVDs, and that's it. DVDs. DVDs. Exactly. What are those? DVDs. What's a DVD? Dude, I've, I, I'm buying DVDs now because I'm running out of Blu-rays to buy. <laughs> I bought, God. I bought the DVD for Mushat. I've, I have a Korean bootleg of Come and See that I now have to upgrade to the Criterion hey, Blu-ray. I have a Blu-ray copy of Come and See. <laughs> well, because like you couldn't get it anywhere before they released yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just got well, this janky, like, DVD in the mail, and I'm like, will this even play? This'll give my <laughs> fucking... Th- this'll give the DVD player a virus. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Anyway. Alright. Anything else, else we want to touch upon before wrapping up? I don't think so. Alright, well... Alrighty. Thank you for uh, joining us on this episode for Ugetsu. Tony, thank, thank you for being the guest speaker here. Thank, thank you. you, my man. It's, and uh, it's been it's great. Be we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Next episode, we're going to be doing World on a Wire. See ya. See ya.